believers. And we are called out of the world and into eternity. I was reminded this week of this famous verse, Philippians 3.20. Our citizenship is where? It's not here. Okay. You know, this is part of this series. Are you, are you living like your citizenship is in heaven? I mean, have you bought into it? Is that all true for you? Or you still got one foot in the world? We've been talking about some of these great passages. We're not looking at the things that are seen anymore, but the things that are not seen. That's what the ecclesia does. That's what the healthy church does. That's what the healthy church member does. We set our minds on the things above, not on the things of the earth. We are radically different from, again, as I've shared with you before, the worldlings. We understand that this life is a vapor, and the next one's forever. I mean, that should mean something in the morning when we get up. The next one's forever. I hope we heard something about that last week as we looked at some of the passages on stewardship. We are bullish we understand that our lives, our abilities, our resources, our station in life, and even our next heartbeat is a stewardship entrusted to us by our Creator. It seemed good um, and wise to continue to build upon the, the, the truths of stewardship. You know, we looked, at, we looked at stewardship in money, and last week we began to look at our stewardship in our lives and in our gifts and abilities and privileges all a stewardship before God, we will give an account. You know, we, you know, we saw in the parable of, parable of the minas and the talents that everyone's in those, everyone is in those parables, the redeemed and the damned. Everybody's in there. Everybody would be in those parables. The passages we look at this morning are exclusively for Christians. There are no unbelievers addressed here. It's for the true born-again lover of Christ. A couple of passages that we will be looking at. We will give an account to God. The Apostle Paul was convinced, right? He was convinced. This is how he lived, 1 Corinthians 9. I run with an aim. What was his aim? To win. I run to win, Paul says. That's, the, that's my aim when I get up in the morning. I run to win. He runs to win. The spiritual race. One of my favorite analogies in the Christian life, and I think I've shared it with you before, is the Olympic athlete. It's no accident that he's standing on the gold medal stand. Why is he standing there? Because he's worked for it his whole life. Right? Oceans of sweat. Endless calluses. Innumerable workouts. It's been his whole life. I don't think it's any uh, accident that we're talking about the Bema seat here in Corinth where the Olympic athletes were honored. They were honored for their sacrifice, for excellence. Is that how you view your Christianity? Is it a, are you striving for excellence in your stewardship, in every sphere of your life? Yes, in the parable of the, of the minas, in, your, in, your, in the one life you've been giving, and, and yes, in all the abilities and gifts and talents and resources you have. The parable of the talents. The Olympic runner is not on the platform by accident. 
This is not unexpected. It's not a surprise. It's not, not unforeseen. It's been his whole life. It's been his whole life. And that's why the title of the sermon is pointing at the beam, point, pointing at the beam of seat. Brad corrected me. Thank you, brother. It's, it's pronounced, properly pronounced Bama, okay? I'll, I'm, I'm sure I'll say it wrong numerous times in the sermon. But that's, why, that's, that's the title of the sermon, pointing at the Bama seat. So, you guys know Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. God defines faith there in Hebrews 11. And then he says in Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, you can't, you can't ever preach Hebrews 11 without preaching Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 because God says, this is what I want for you. Right? This is what I want for you. I want you to live Hebrews 11. That would be good stewardship, right? <laughs> that, would be, that would be good stewardship. This is what I want you to do with the one life I've given you and with all of the abilities and resources uh, and privileges that you have. I mean for you to have an aim. And the aim is the Bema. The Bema seat. You remember Hebrews 12, 1, God says, lay aside every encumbrance. So let's just ask ourselves, what's encumbering us this morning? What's encumbering you? What's encumbering you in your faithful stewardship before God? And then he says, with endurance, we run this race that is set before us. The Greek word here for race is the word agnon. It's, it's where we get the, the word agony from. In other places in the Bible, it's translated conflict or fight or contention. This is a struggle. Good stewardship, it doesn't just happen when you roll out of bed. Good stewardship is a, is a planned event. You have to want it, and you have to work for it. It doesn't just happen. By osmosis, I heard one preacher say, it's not easy to run this race. It's not supposed to be. It's not supposed to be. Contrary to many who dumb Christianity down to merely praying a prayer and getting in the baptistry and attending some church, biblical Christianity, rightly understood and lived out, is an all-consuming venture. It can't just be a piece of your life. It is your life. If it's real for you, it is your life. It is your life. We are called to a passionate, persevering, self-denying run of faith to the finish line. Who's the finish line? Christ Jesus is the finish line. The well done, good and faithful servant. That is the finish line. So let me ask you, are you running or are you coasting? Are you in the race or are you merely a spectator? You know, I've seen it all my life. Raised in a Southern Baptist church, man, there are a lot of spectators. Lots of spectators. Right? Just lots and lots of spectators. But are you in the race? Are you spectating? Are you using your gifts in the church? Are you bringing them to the body? Are you loving the body? Are you serving the body? Whatever your gift is. Listen, can I say this? If you, if you don't remember anything else, if you're a spectator, you need to stop. You need to stop being spectator it's not what god has called us to do so today i'm going to exhort you to fix your eyes on jesus hebrews 12 2 and run with all you have in extending our look at biblical stewardship i want to continue to encourage you to take the long view 
Does your heaven view dominate your worldview? Well, it should. So what does this look like? We're looking at God. We're not looking around. <laughs> you, know, you, know, you know yourself looking around. You know when you're out in the world and you're looking around. Or, or, or are you looking at God? Again, Jesus is the finish line. We are focused and looking at God. I love how Eugene Peterson paraphrases Hebrews 12 too. He says, keep your eyes on Jesus, who both began and finished this race we're in. Jesus never lost sight of where he was headed. And here's, here's, the, here's the key. The exhilarating finish in and with God. Is that how you see it? You know, uh, Joe teases me about this all the time because I bring it up. I'm really looking forward to it, man. I mean, I'm looking forward to it. To live as Christ, to die as gain. I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to being in that exhilarating finish in and with God. I know I've got, I've got a lot of work to do here, but man, I really, I, it captures my imagination and it animates me. The well done. You know, we talked about Ruby and Lara last week. Stepping, just stepping into the presence of Christ and, and hearing those words from this beautiful God. Well done. Well done. Yeah, they're... Their lives and deaths were not a tragedy. They had served the Lord faithfully. So that's what this mini-sermon ser uh, mini series is on stewardship. That ex exhilarating finish in and with God. So I'm going to exhort you this morning, as I always do, normally do, exhort you to, go, to move on, to go on. You know, you're either getting better or you're getting stale. You, you, this is true in the Christian life, right? If you're not growing, you're probably dead. You're supposed to be growing and, and, and changing and, and being changed. Right? It's what the Lord expects of His people. The Olympian spent his whole life pointing at the metal platform, and my exhortation to you is to spend the rest of your life pointing at the Bema. I'm doing pretty good on that, right? I shared this with you last week. I'm going to share it again. Jonathan Edwards, famous 18th century theologian, his 22nd resolution for living his life. i got to read it again to you. Resolved to endeavor to obtain for myself as much happiness in the other world as I possibly can. Is that part of your thought process? Is it thought of, part of your thought process? I love this. He wants as much happiness in the other world as he, as he can have. With, he's going to pursue it with all the power, might, vigor, and vehemence I am capable of or can bring myself to exert in any way that can be thought of. He's laying up for himself, in the words of Jesus, treasures in heaven. I don't think we think about this enough. I really don't. I don't think we think about this enough. I think we would put our hands to the plow with greater vigor if we thought about it more. So just to reinforce a couple of things we noted last week in the parable of the minas, which I believe represents the gift of life. Each, each slave got one. I think it's preeminently about the gift of life. We have the opportunity to maximize our stewardship no matter what our giftedness is. The parable does not highlight relative ability. 
It's highlighting the one opportunity you have to magnify Christ in, in the life you've been given. So we saw this last week. Each slave was given one, one life to invest, or one life to waste. And I said to you last week, it's easy to waste your life. And most people do. No thought of God, no thought of stewardship. I live like a little sovereign. I'm in charge of my life. I do whatever I please, whenever I please, however I please. With little to no consultation with the one who made me and gifted me. We each have one life to invest. And we each can maximize that. Or we can waste it. The parable of the talents can be seen as the individual's giftedness that God grants the privileges He grants. And I would even say access to the Word of God. So we're really accountable, aren't we? We're truly accountable. You know, I was thinking about it this week. Uh, what does the text say? Not let many of you be teachers, for you will incur a stricter judgment. You know, that causes me to tremble at times, right? I don't have any excuse. I don't have any excuse. Um, just a few of these that, that have always surfaced in my, in my ministry. What about the guy in Luke 19 who hid his mina in a handkerchief? Was he a believer who lost everything but was saved as if by fire, 1 Corinthians 3, or was he an unbeliever? It's very clear he was an unbeliever. His actions revealed his contempt for God. He did nothing with his life to honor God. Nothing. It was all about him all the time. His words reveal his contempt for God. He effectively slandered God. Verse 21, Luke 19. The clincher here, you remember how God addressed him? You, you worthless slave. God never talks to one of his own like this. Okay? You worthless slave. You did nothing with the life I gave you. And he was cast into hell. Guilty of God neglect and stewardship neglect. Second question I, I get sometimes is, there's a distinction here bet, bet, between salvation and rewards. Now, I know you guys are well taught. I know you know this. Salvation is the free gift of God. It's the sovereign work of God in our hearts. We are not saved by works. We are saved by grace. That's what we've been studying in, in our Sunday night study, James chapter 2. But there's a beautiful thing there in Ephesians 2.10. God has saved us and He has called us to walk in the good works which He prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So there it is, right? Grace, salvation by grace. But if, if, we've, had, if we've experienced salvation by grace, stewardship will happen. It will spill out. It's irrepressible for the true lover of Christ. It will spill out. There will be stewardship going on. This is our responsibility before God, to walk in the good works which He prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them. Faith alone saves, but the faith that saves is never alone. There is always stewardship involved. Think about this. I'm sure you have. God elects, God atones, God regenerates, God indwells. All right. He's doing all the heavy lifting. We understand that. He's doing all the, the heavy-duty theological work. And then, 
He's asking us to simply show up. You, know, you see this a lot in the Old Testament. He's just calling the Jews to show up. He says, I'll do the work here. I'll destroy the invading army. I just need you to show up. That's all you need to do. Just show up. And if we show up, God works through us. Right? God will do a mighty work through us. All we got to do is show up. He does the work through us. Okay, and here's what I want you to think about. Though all that being true, and then he rewards us. <laughs> the the, the scripture is clear. He rewards us. Why does he reward us? We'll talk a little bit more about that in a few minutes. Third question I often get about these parables, especially the way I teach it. What did I mean about our works and our stewardship impacting the dimensions of our eternity? I know this is a new thought to some of you, possibly. I don't know. But I want to recommend a book that you must devour. Um, I think I've recommended it to you before. God's Passion for His Glory uh, by John Piper, but it's, half of the book is a reprint of Jonathan Edwards' The End for Which God Created the World. Now, if you just want to worship a lot, <laughs> if, you, if you want your heart and your mind and your soul to be blown up, you need to read this book. Why anything? Why everything? We've talked a lot about it this last year and, and, and last year. Why, why anything? Why everything? For the glory of God and the joy of the redeemed. That's why. Right? God's passion for His glory is our joy. What's the most loving thing God can give? To prove that He's a loving God Himself. And that's exactly, that's exactly what He has given it's what Edwards is saying when he's talking about that 22nd, you know, resolution. I want as much happiness in God as I can get. And it's all wrapped up in our stewardship, you know. Forever and ever and ever, as much happiness in God as I can get. We saw it last week. There's proportionality to the rewards of God to his stewards. The tin mine guy maximized his stewardship. He ruled over ten cities. The five minor guy got a good return, but not a maximum return. He will rule over five cities. There'll be greater authority and satisfaction and joy for the ten minor guy than the five minor guy. But not in the sense that the five minor guy is not also full of joy and satisfaction in heaven. But his capacity is less than the ten minor guy say, Jim, you're confusing me. Well, I hope not. I'm trying to explain to you that your stewardship matters and it will define the proportionality of your eternity. Let me just quote Edwards here. Listen to what he says. The saints are like so many vessels of different sizes cast into the sea of happiness where each vessel is full. The ten minor guy is full. So is the five minor guy. The ten minor guy's capacity is full. This is all about stewardship. It's all about reward. I think I have to preach next week on heaven. I have to slip one in there. And it's just, it's just this, this, this continuation. Money, stewardship, reward, heaven. It's almost like you can't break that chain. 
Um, so, the eternal, this is the eternal life of a man to, to ever have his capacity filled. It's been called by some the bucket analogy. The five-minded guy's bucket is full of life and joy and knowing and, and, and discovering God. The ten-minded guy's bucket is full of life and joy and knowing and discovering God. But the ten-minded guy's bucket is bigger. He has greater capacity. Why would Edwards use this type of metaphor? Because of Revelation 22.1. There is a river of the water of life, clear as crystal, coming from the throne of God and the Lamb. When you read that, don't you want as big a vessel as you can have? You know, again, you run into so many Christians and they think, well, heaven's just a generic experience. Right? Everybody has the same experience. No, they don't. Edwards is right, I believe. Some see further into the glory of God. And man, don't you want that? Don't you want to see further into the glory of God? Well, I tell you what, if you think about these kinds of things, it sobers you up a little bit, right? You, you kind of know how to act when you go out into the world and, and, and amongst your family and in the body of Christ. You know how to act. It informs who we are, how we live our lives. Our stewardship impacts. It's the clear teaching of Scripture. It's all about reward. And I know some people are too righteous. They're too, they're too holy to talk about reward. Well, all I know is God talked about it. And I'm not too holy and I'm not too righteous. Right? God talks about it. So I think we're supposed to talk about it. And we're not mercenaries. I've told you this before. We're certainly not mercenaries. We're in this because we love him. But God says, I'm going to reward you for a gazillion eternities. As you surrender your life and your, shall we say, abilities and assets to me. Now, some don't, don't like the vessel analogy or the bucket analogy. And I know why they don't like it. Because the, how can they be happy in heaven if their brother has a bigger bucket? How can they be happy? Well, okay, first you're thinking with a sinful mind. There'll be no sin in heaven. You have a completely sanctified heart. You won't be thinking like that. In fact, you'll be looking at the, the, your brother next to you with a larger bucket, and you'll be happy he's got a bigger bucket. This is how it'll work in heaven. That's how it'll work. There's no sin there. There's no envy there. You'll be delighted that he can see further into the magnificent glory of God than you can. And you have a, you have a position of greater authority than, than you do. Let's see what else God says about our stewardship and reward. Let's go to 2 Corinthians 5. 2 Corinthians 5. Again, last week we were talking about believers and unbelievers. This week, we're only talking about believers. If you're not a believer, these words do not apply to you. If you're not a sold-out lover of Christ, if you're not born again, these words do not apply to you. You're still in the parable of the minas or the parable of the talents. Now, this is all about the body of Christ. This is all about the ecclesia. This is all about the called-out 
ones. Verses 1 through 8, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul basically says that to live is Christ, to die is gain. I'm not going to read that text, all of those verses. Just in summary, he says, We long to be home uh, with Christ in heaven, but we're of good courage. <laughs> even, in, even in our earthly bodies, we're of good courage. Or we could say in our temporal stewardship, I'm of good courage. You know why? Because God is a good, good Father. And He's promised reward to all who would faithfully exercise their stewardship. you got to love verse 9, right? What's his ambition? What does your Bible say? What's Paul's ambition? To please God. Now, that's a simple thing you could put on your wall. So I'm going to ask you, what's your ambition? What's your ambition? What's your preeminent ambition? The Apostle Paul tells us, whether we're in the body or not, to please our Creator, to please our Redeemer. He is a driven man. He sets his sights as high as a man can set them. That is to always be pleasing to God. You know what he told the Galatians, uh, Galatians 1.10, for am I now seeking the favor of man or, uh, or God? Or am I striving to please men? If I were still striving, striving to please men, I would not be the bondservant of Christ. He's not a man pleaser. And you know how he says it over in Romans 12.1. He says, I present myself a living sacrifice acceptable to God. Philippians 1.20, he says, I exalt Christ in my body, whether by my life or by my death. He was radical about this. He was radical about it. And I want to be more like that. I know I've got miles to go, but I want to be more like that. I want that to be the preeminent focus every day. I've got work to do. You know, if you're serious about your Christianity, you've got work to do. You never don't have work to do. You know, there's always a challenge in front of you. Don't you like, don't you love it? Don't you love the next challenge? Don't you love it that God doesn't let us just sit in our recliners? There's always another challenge. Go do that. Right? Go do that. Man, I'm getting all kinds of conviction. <laughs> Last couple of weeks sitting behind my desk. It's like, I could get out of there, man. It's too hot in here. You know, <laughs> I'm going to mow the grass or something. That's easier. <laughs> you know, doing the deep dive into the Word of God. Verse 10, here we go. Also, Paul says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat, that's the bema of Christ, that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in, this, in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Dr. Vaden could help us on this, but I think the better translation is worthless, whether good or worthless. At least that's what Johnny MacArthur believes. So we must all appear. We will all appear, all Christians, before the Bama seat. We will all appear. Why? To be recompensed. To be recompensed of God. We saw this truth in the parable of the talents. True believers will give an accounting of their life and gifts given to them according to their ability. 
And as 2 Corinthians 5.10 says, we will be recompensed for our deeds while in this body according to whether our deeds were good or bad or worthless. So what's this about? It's just you and God. I like, I like MacArthur's speculation here. He says nobody's watching this. It's between you and God. God's revealing you to you. He's revealing what your life adds up to. I think some things that might come up, you know, and I think we're all guilty here, aren't we? You know, those, those self-righteous deeds, those prideful good deeds, and it was all vanity. There's, there, was, there was nothing about God in it, right? It was just all vanity. Look at me. Look what I'm doing. You know, like a Pharisee. Sure that those will be exposed. I think there'll be some very simple things we did that, that, that we don't even we can't even remember. And God says, I was all in that, right? That was all me. And you were fully surrendered to me, and I did a I, I gave a cup of water, a cup of cold water to some guy. <laughs> he talks about that, doesn't he, in Matthew 10? You won't lose your reward if you did it as unto the Lord. And I care not, we muse about this a lot, you know, a thousand people, 97 nations, we have no idea what God did with his word that we taught. We have no idea. But we know he did something. And, and, and when we get on the other side, we're going to get to see all that he did with the people that were only in our church for three months, or the people that were in our church only for six months, or the people that were in our church for only one year. I can't wait to see what God did, Right? I can't wait to see how God blessed his word. So the Greek word here, judgment seed, it's bema. Um, and again, as I mentioned earlier, it's where the Olympic athletes were awarded their victory wreaths. This is not judicial. This is about reward. This is not about sin. This is about Reward. So here are, the two, here are a couple things I want you to consider. I want you to think about this. This really meant a lot to me as the Lord laid it on my heart this week. First, you remember how Jesus talked in Luke 17, 9 and 10 about the human master and his servant. The master does not thank the servant for doing what he's commanded to do. So why should you get a reward? You shouldn't get one. You ought to do what the master says to do. But God is so good... He's going to lavish you for a billion eternities with reward. You know, what else did Jesus say there? He says, we should say we are unworthy servants. We've only done what we ought to have done. God's going to just pour out lavish reward on his faithful stewards. I mean, it's like everything else in Christianity. We don't deserve it. We don't deserve that reward. You know, the other thing I thought about, you guys know this, Job 41, 11, Romans eleven thirty five. God is never in our debt. He doesn't need to reward us. We were only doing what we ought to do. But despite only doing what we ought and God owing us nothing, he seeks to reward us. It's in his heart to do it. Let's turn quickly over to 1 Corinthians 3. 
we touched on uh, these verses last week. I just want to spend a few more minutes on them. 1 Corinthians 3. Um, context here is Paul is contrasting his work to that of Apollos. Paul planted and Apollos watered. 1 Corinthians 3, 8 there, he says, Now he who plants and he who waters are one, but each will receive his own reward according to his labor. Reward, reward, reward. Jim, I'm too holy to talk about it. Okay, okay, but I'm not. God just keeps talking about it. We either take it seriously or we don't. Right? We either take it seriously or we don't. Each will receive his own reward according to his labor. Now, let me interject. There's some false teaching on this text. Some say that the sins we've committed after we were saved are being judged here. That's wrong. Just, you know, read the context. You know, simple grammar. Just let the words mean what the words mean. Some say that sin, the sin that has never been confessed is being talked about here. That's wrong. This is about reward. It's not about sin. The famous seat is clearly about the true believer being rewarded for his or her good works. So, let me just pick up here verse 10. I'm going to read the next six verses. Verse 10. 1 Corinthians 3. According to the grace of God, which was given to me as a wise master builder. I laid a foundation and another is building upon it. Okay, that's Paul and Apollos. Paul brought the message, the foundational message. Apollos is building on it. But let each man be careful how he builds upon it, right? Man, you're supposed to have, you know, there might be just a little trembling when you think about, well, what should I be doing at church? And how should I bring, how should I bring my abilities and my gifts and my talents in there? You know, a little trembling. You need to be careful how you build. You know, this is just the thing about modern Christianity. There's absolutely no real trembling before God. Anyway. For no man can lay up a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Christ Jesus. Christ, the message of Christ is the foundation now, if any man builds upon the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, or straw. Now, do you see the healthy church implications here in verses 11 and verse 12? Verse 13, each man's works will be become evident for the day will show it because it is to be revealed with fire and the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. If any man's work which he has built upon it remains, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work is burned up, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet as through fire. I was enamored with this master builder of the foundation. Now, I've known Brad Vaden a long time. And I know some stuff. Guy's got some issues. Now, I've known Joe less time. I'm pretty sure he's got issues too. But you know what I know about these guys? You know what I know about these guys? What happened a couple years ago? That they tremble before God. 
they tremble before God. And they are wise master builders who build on the foundation of the Word of God. It doesn't matter if we have three people in here. The wise master builder does not deviate from the truth for any reason. If there's nobody in here, if God shuts it down, good thing I, I came, right? I don't have any issues. It's a good thing I'm here, I guess. No, I've got a ton of them too. But you know what? What happened here almost never happens. That is. The leadership almost never survives when that happens. With respect to sovereignty. You know, every Southern Baptist church can put up with a lot of garbage but don't talk to me about the sovereignty of God. I want my rights before God. Well, guess what? You don't have any. If you're a sinner. Now, if you're not a sinner, you have every right to come before God. But I think we're all sinners. So let me ask you, how are you building your life upon Christ? Parable of the minus. How are you using your gifts to build up the church, the parable of the talents? And if you could build, if you had unlimited resources to build a beautiful edifice for God, would you use wood, hay, and straw, or would you use gold, silver, and jewels? You have every resource, right? You have every resource. You are indwelt by the third member of the Trinity, God says when it comes to building your life and building the body of Christ, let each man be careful how he builds. Be careful. Right? Be faithful to the Word of God and all that He has commanded. Are you building? Are you building? Some of this stuff might come up at the Bema Seat. The Bema seat. Did you abide in the vine? Did you allow the Spirit, the Spirit of God to flow through you? Did you do good works to be seen of men or because you loved the Son? Did you grow weary of well-doing? Or did you persevere in good works to the end? Did you merely perform outwardly? Or did you follow God with all your heart? Did you radically believe and radically obey the words of God by faith? Did you live in such a way that people asked you, what is this hope within you? Did you build and live like you really believed, Hebrews eleven six 6, that God, is, that God is and God is good and He's a rewarder? Is that the ambiance coming off of your life? Are you building like this or are you a stubble saint, as one preacher said? Building with that which cannot stand the fire. In verse 15, what is, what's meant here about the Christian suffering loss at the Bema? It means that if you were building with wood, hay, and stubble in your life, you will lose the reward you could have otherwise received. The wood, hay, and stubble labor has no eternal value. It was for naught. So, again, this is for Christians. This is not about salvation. It is about 
reward. Why have I been pressing this point home the last two weeks about our stewardship before God regarding all he has entrusted to us? Because of what I alluded to earlier or said earlier. Unbelievably, God is allowing us to dramatically impact our eternity. The Bible is clear. Our earthly stewardship profoundly informs not only the depth with which we will be able to grasp the magnificence of God. Edward said it like this, In heaven, the holiest of saints have a greater capacity to see further into the divine perfections of God than do others. So they penetrate further into the vast and infinite distance that is between the creature and God. I was listening to MacArthur this week uh, preach this text, and he said almost, he didn't quote Edwards, but he said almost exactly the same thing. And I'd never heard, I'd never heard MacArthur say that before. This is about how much you want God. It really is. At the end of the day, it all comes down to how much you want God. Right? How much you really want God? We're not just do-gooders down at the church. We want God. I want, I want Him forever, and I want to see as far into His glory as I can see. Ever. You know. And here's another side point. Maybe not so much a side point. But God's the, God's the reward. But our earthly stewardship will also affect our position and authority as we rule and reign in the new heaven and new earth under King Jesus. Ten cities, five cities. So as I've studied this, reading some of the best theologians around, I kept seeing this same word, capacity. Capacity. By our faithful stewardship, our capacity to enjoy and know God will be enhanced forever in eternity. Some of the synonyms for capacity. The volume, the size, the dimensions, the amount, the scope of what I can understand and know about God. I think that to me this, this is fascinating. It's uh, exciting. It's tantalizing. I believe, I believe Edwards is right. A deeper apprehension and comprehension of God is in play every day. So just like that Olympic runner relentlessly pointing at the metal platform, I'm exhorting you to relentlessly point at the Bema. Reward at the Bema will not be some chance generic event. It will be based on your stewardship. It will be based on how you have loved God and how you have served God and how you have glorified God. You know, they're not going to come ask me, right? God's not going to come ask me. You and he are going to look eye to eye. He's not going to ask your pastor. He's going to ask you. What was your life like? Now, it's a great, you know, challenge and responsibility, isn't it? So I lovingly ask you, how are you building? With wood, hay, and straw, or with gold, silver, and precious stones? God says, 
but let each man be careful how he builds. And I had this realization, and you can, it may not be true of you, but it's, it's true of me. I realized I've not been thinking about this enough. I've not, I've been so convicted. You know, our life has been so turned upside down the last year. You know, it's just like we're trying to, we're just trying to keep our balance. And, and, uh, but now that I'm, I've, I've got my balance, you know, there's just a lot of things I need to, I need to, I need to settle in on, right? I need to settle in on. I know where my shoes are and I can find my belt. That's good. You know, and my socks are, I think, I think Karen put them in the right drawer. Um, I've not been thinking about this enough. And at my age, I'm not very smart. I should be thinking about this all the time. I mean, you know, <laughs> I can see the finish line. So I want to encourage you. Are you thinking and meditating and praying and dreaming about this enough? Are you dreaming about the rewards God has promised his good stewards? Do you get jazzed about it? Are you excited about it? I love these texts. I love to think about it, you know. And I think I will preach on heaven next week. And uh, we don't think about it enough. We don't think about what is awaiting us. And I know I cannot see nor ear. Uh, how's it go? Eyes not seen nor ear heard all that God has prepared for those who love him, right? Man, can be on our lips, can be in our hearts, can be in our prayers. We need to think about it. We need to think about stewardship. We need to think about heaven. We need to think about reward. And again, I know that's beneath some of you in that you're not a mercenary. But that's not the way I'm preaching. We're not mercenaries. God is the ultimate reward. And I'm done. And I want to see into his magnificence as far as I can see. And I want to drink in as much of God as I can drink in. I don't care about the ten cities. You can have the ten cities. I'll give you the ten cities. I want to drink in God. I want to be like those guys in, in Revelation 4, right? Full of eyes all around and within. And, and they're just looking at God. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God. That's what I want to do. So i got work to do. I suspect many of you do too. Now, if you don't have any work to do, I want you to come and tell me. Okay, I want you to come tell me after the sermon. I want you to come let me know. If you don't have any work to do, man, I, I just want to follow you around for a week and learn how you do it, right? I love you guys. Let's pray. Lord, there's just so much here. There's just so much here. Lord, I confess my sin that 
I am not absolutely consumed with these promises and with my stewardship. There's something not right about that. For indeed, we are vapors. The next life is forever. Bring these truths home to us, Father, I pray. I pray your Spirit would drive them deep into our hearts and minds and souls. That many of us would get our act together. And our worldview would be dominated by our heaven view. And as our good brother says, we would run to him. We would run to win. Help us, Father. We need your help. We don't understand why you reward us. We're only doing what we ought. You're not in our debt. But you have promised so much. We praise you, Lord. We pray this in Christ's name.